0: Dear God, give us a song that we might smile in the dark. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Mm -hmm. Uh, The focus of today's homily is the symphonic, angelic announcement to the shepherds. Uh, This scene, just read from Luke's Gospel, is a a contrast to the chaotic cacophony of the Christmas narrative thus far, The Christmas story is not all uh, bright lights. It's unsettling. Up to this point, you have an unplanned pregnancy, a conflicted fiancé, an untimely uh, political census, a birth at a veritable truck stop, and a murderous plot by a thug king who is more concerned uh, with his own power than the restoration of the world. And into this uh, storm cloud... Uh, we have an angelic announcement. The clouds part, uh, and we see through the darkness great, great light. And so I just want to say that at the beginning because if you're not in the holiday spirit right now, if you haven't had your Norman Rockwell Christmas, you're not alone. The first Christmas family didn't have one either. Uh, they were facing into great tumult and great strain. And nevertheless, God was at work. And the heavens parted for a moment. And so I want to speak today about this uh, direct extraterrestrial revelation that was given, gifted, uh, to the shepherds. Uh, there are really two parts of this angelic announcement. There's verses 10 through 12, which has to do with one, uh, one angel, one supernatural entity, speaking directly to the shepherds, telling them to go to Bethlehem. And then verses 13 through 14, which is the multitude of heavenly hosts, not just one, but maybe millions, who are all singing or saying uh, something of great uh, weight as it relates to God and the human race. And uh, so I'm going to divide the sermon into these two parts, and the, the first part is really about the scope of Christmas, and the second part is about the tone of Christmas, the emotional tone. So the first part. I want to consider the scope of Christmas, the scope of Christmas both in its audience and in its relevance. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, the audience of Christmas, all people, good news to all people. What I like about the Christmas story is that it involves, by its very nature, the extremes of life. Because on the one hand, you have the, the extreme poverty into which Jesus was born. He's not born at home. He's not born with a midwife. He's not born surrounded by his extended family. He's born probably in a cave and he uh, doesn't have a crib, and so they, they place him in straw. They place him in the place where animals uh, feed. And so there's an appeal to poverty. On the other hand, there is an appeal to uh, wealthy, the wealthy intelligentsia, because at this time uh, you have a stirring in the, in the Far East where magi are getting ready to leave their homes and follow a star that they might go to Bethlehem and have an encounter They're on their way to see something great, too. And so Christmas has this effect, this gathering effect uh, for various people. But I want to consider not just the extremes. I want to consider the particular recipients of this angelic announcement. And the particular recipients are shepherds. Shepherds were not broke. Shepherds were middle class, maybe slightly lower middle class field laborers. And these uh, uh, poor sods are working the night shift. Uh, the shepherds are rough equivalent, the rough equivalent of people in our own day who drive uh, forklifts, and who wait tables, and who pump gas. Uh, and some of us here are, are maybe in that situation. Uh, but day laborers, night laborers, and some whom the world would regard uh, negatively as sort of average people. Just your average people who have more month at the end of their money, and who struggle to send their kids to college, and who, um, who, who don't know if they can afford the bigger house, even though they need the bigger house. And uh, what I think is remarkable about this passage is that the angel is directed to average people. He doesn't just go to the extremes, he goes to average people. Now, this is important because some of us think that we need to be on the extremes of life to be regarded as important or significant. That is, we need to be wealthy enough in order to get attention and satisfaction or pitiful enough to have later a great redemption story. You know, I used to be a starving artist with no hope, but then my talent was finally recognized and I made a name for myself and I'm making a lot of money and now they're making a documentary about me. And it's on YouTube even though it's not on PBS. But but I mean this is Thoreau right it 's Thoreau. most men lead lives of quiet desperation uh, that, that's most people are average and unambitious, dullards uh, whom history will forget and that's to, that that verse that verse from Thoreau, that verse from Thoreau. that semi inspired little bit of wisdom uh, defeats everybody everybody 's cut down by that. And everybody feels terrible after hearing it because we all put ourselves in the place of mediocrity. We're like Salieri in the movie Amadeus. We're the patron saint of mediocrity. But the good news is that the angel from God comes directly to the patron saints of mediocrity. He doesn't go to palaces and he doesn't go to priests and he's not even with the addicts on the street yet. He's with normal, middle-of-the-road people who never really made anything of themselves and who aren't having documentaries made of their lives. And to just make enough to get by. And I think that is beautiful and remarkable. Because it means that if you feel today rather unspectacular, the angel of the Lord spoke to people just like you and just like me. And uh, that means that you are seen by the eyes of heaven. And you are not forgotten, not even for a New York minute and so this is the audience of Christmas, the extremes, of course, but right down the middle as well. Everybody is drawn. Everybody is involved. And so that's the audience of Christmas. The good news is for all people. But there's also the relevance of Christmas, that the angel speaks of the universality of this person who was born in a manger. He says this in verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, this is what I want to say. Jesus Christ, at least according to the New Testament, is not a matter of personal taste. I could take him, or I could leave him. I like some of what he says, but I don't like other bits. Some of it fits within my worldview, but I recently read this really interesting book by Thoreau, and I don't like everything that he says. Uh, Jesus isn't like that. He's not like Bob Dylan. By the way, you should all like Bob Dylan. It's a, in, in my opinion, Bob Dylan is universally significant. Now, I was talking with uh, with somebody who was uh, um, uh, of uh, a lower intellectual clout the other day, who disagreed with me. That's a joke, and uh, and they said, no, 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 you can't like Bob Dylan because his voice sounds like he's been gargling with hydrochloric acid, and so nobody can legitimately think that Bob Dylan has talent. And I. I wanted to shoot them, but I didn't, and uh, so we moved on, and it's new the Christmas season. I wanted to be charitable, um, but the, the reality is whether I like to face into it or not, Bob Dylan is a matter of personal taste. Jesus Christ is not. Claims made in this text uh, come through the titles that are given to him, Savior, that he's going to offer the world a great rescue that has never been offered before and will never be offered again. And then he's also called Christ. He is the anointed monarch, the great prophesied uh, king who is to come into the world not just to be the ruler of Israel, but but through Israel to be the ruler of everyone. And lastly, Lord, that he is God Almighty in the flesh and that he is in a class all by himself. And so what we have in Jesus Christ is a person of universal relevance, Therefore, context, geography, and language is irrelevant because Jesus Christ, Savior Christ and Lord, is the same for everybody. He is needed by uh, Dominican women and Japanese men. Uh, He is the savior of the Black Lives Matter advocates and the Blue Lives Matter advocates. He is for people that invest well and people that are bankrupt. He is for people um, who agree with James Dobson, and he is for the people... Whom James Dobson criticizes, and he is for the people that criticize James Dobson. uh, uh, That that Jesus Christ is the great universal element, and I know this is an off-repeated sentiment from me, and you probably get sick of hearing it, but I need it to get through: that everyone is the same as you. We're all the same. No matter how much we enjoy a bifurcated society where we have all these little split identities and we're trying to carve out individual niches with all this energy, and it's just utterly useless because. Truth be told, everybody has the same crisis. We're out of sorts. Inside, we're out of sorts. Uh, With the people that we claim to love, we're out of sorts. And with God especially, we are out of sorts. We all have the same uh, crisis of conscience. And yet that crisis has been salved and solved and forever dealt with by the uh, Son of God born into the manger. Christmas has a universal relevance. And this is why... If Christmas does its job, it can birth in us a fresh sense of connection and unity that is given to all and relevant to all. Now that runs counter to our nature because we like to build partitions rather than connections. This is what we do because we, we deep down we have an egomaniac inside of us who always wants attention and always wants to be right, and always wants to win arguments and always wants to say something interesting or unique. And so we want to build some walls, but the, the, the truth of Christmas breaks them down. This quote comes from uh, Samuel Zveimer, who was a 19th century missionary to Egypt. But this is what he says about Christians who have yet to receive an inner reckoning that we're all on the same level. Most of us live on the narrow coast, and we have never ventured inland. We are afraid. We are timid. We are parochial. We are sectarian. One says, I am a Presbyterian. Another, I am a Methodist. Another, I am a Fundamentalist. Another, I am a low-church Anglican. The smaller the diameter of your love, the smaller the circumference of your spiritual understanding. But think upon Christmas. It gets better as you consider it. God says there, all are mine. The intent of Christmas is that our hearts... Be enlarged, so that's the scope of Christmas. Uh, let me consider for a moment the tone of Christmas. There's a change in the scenery now. Instead of one angel, suddenly a multitude appear. The multitude sings in verse 14, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men." A short hymn, but a powerful one. The tone of Christmas is one of elation and delight. Like an organist intending to overwhelm her audience, uh, heaven pulls out all of the stops for the birth of Christ. And you have this grand theophany, which has never been seen in Scripture before, but now is presented before the watching eyes of the shepherds. And the angelic hosts all come out to loudly celebrate the incarnation, the enfleshment of God. Because it says something about God and it says something to us. Notice that this hymn has two parts. One is about God and one is about us. It starts with God. Glory to God in the highest. The birth of Jesus Christ puts God's glory or his public honor on the highest shelf. This moment of incarnation outshines everything else that God has ever done it is more impressive than the constellations, the mountains in Ireland, and the northern lights. It is more spectacular than the entire book of Psalms, the prophecies of Isaiah, and the miracles of Elijah. Why? Charles Simeon gives us the answer. Charles Simeon gives us the reason in his sermon on this passage. This is what he says. In the incarnation of Christ, God is more honored than ever before. Wisdom and goodness and power had been displayed before in the formation of the whole creation. But there was no trace of mercy to be seen in any corner of the universe. That secret of God's own nature, kept hidden for ages, is now unveiled to the waking world. It's not speculative anymore. Maybe I'll be okay, maybe I won't be. You will be because the heart of God, the merciful heart of God, is now shown in the tender uh, offering of his own Son. This is what happens when the angels sing glory to God in the highest, because the whole world is about to be reclaimed. Uh, but then there's a word to us. It's glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The whole purpose of Christmas was a slow beginning that would build and build and build and build until Good Friday. The whole purpose of Christmas was to reestablish a loving, safe relationship between warring parties. It was to bring reconciliation instead of enmity between human beings and God. The entwining of God with humanity is in a way to win us by building trust. Martin Luther put it this way in his Christmas sermon. To me, there is no greater consolation given to mankind than this. Christ became a child, a babe, playing in the lap and at the breasts of his mother. Who would not find comfort in such a sight? Now is overcome the power of sin, death, hell, conscience, and guilt. If you come to this gurgling child, and believe that he has come not to judge you, but to save you. That's the peace we're talking about. A peace that comes from God and all of heaven's good will and wishes toward us. We may have abstract questions about God and there is certainly room for them. But in Christ we perceive the unfaltering goodwill and tranquil intention of the heavens. And therefore, the tone of Christmas in this initial Christmas hymn is jubilant and rich. It's like a lavish feast. I always think of my Italian family. We're going to see them tomorrow. We're going to have a 10-course meal uh, where the courses just keep coming. That's the abundant richness and depth of Christmas, the abundant glory to God, abundant peace and goodwill for us. All are lifted higher and all are made fuller. I'm going to close this sermon with a story that underscores the scope and tone of Christmas. Uh, There was a young Guatemalan woman named Juana, born to a poor family uh, who was so devout, spiritually inclined, and charitable that she was regarded at age 18 as a living saint. In fact, her small village gave her the title, the Blessed Juana. Old people would sit next to her seeking spiritual wisdom and healing prayers, and young children would pepper her with all sorts of questions that were important to them. On Christmas Eve, the Blessed Juana became gravely ill, and the children of her village flooded into her small bedroom, hoping to ask their questions before she left them for good the children said to her we are too little to understand very much and the world is so very large and frightening for us can you help us to understand it and can you help us to understand who we are and then came dozens of questions are we poor or are we rich are we kind or are we selfish Are we healthy, or are we sick? Are we angry, or are we joyful? Are we blind, or do we see? Are we fools, or are we wise? Do we still have time, or is it running out? Are we clean, or are we dirty? Are we princes, or are we servants? Are we good or are we bad? And Juana looked at the children and said, It doesn't matter. What matters is the face of God as he looks at you. At this word, the children shuddered, for they recalled how their parents would sometimes look at them Victoria thought of her father's mouth, wide open with sharp teeth like a snake, ready to strike and shout. Antonio remembered the time that he broke the statue of the Blessed Virgin, and how his raging mother bit her bottom lip so hard that her mouth became red with blood. Roberto recalled the side of his father's face, just the side, which turned away from him, ashamed as he picked up his suitcase and left Roberto and his family forever. Camilla thought of her mother's pinkish, boiling face when she caught Camilla stealing pesos from her purse. And Gabriella thought of her father, smelling of whiskey, and his sunken, empty eyes, which would stare at her with indifference. As they thought about God, they worried that his displeasure would look like their parents. And then the blessed Juana, tears in her eyes, said to the children, God is quite different than you might imagine. God does not stare. God does not turn his head toward the door. God does not boil. God's mouth is not bloodied. God does not shout. God smiles. The face of God at Christmas beams at you with all of heaven's goodwill. The shepherds set off for Bethlehem with a new song that caused them to smile in a dark world. And may we smile in the dark for the goodwill which flows from heaven has found its way to us, even us. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.